the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 87 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. And welcome to Mary Podmas Part 3. This is the episode you have all been waiting for. It is the Lindsay Lohan latest Christmas classic, Christmas in Wonderland or Falling for Christmas. Still not sure of the title. For this one, we're going to go with Falling for Christmas, but God knows what the title is. For the third time, we once again say Merry Podmas to you. And in this particular episode, we're looking at Netflix's Christmas offering, specifically the new offering that is Falling for Christmas, directed by Janine Damien and starring the one and only Lindsay Lohan. It is the director's directorial debut. However, she has had plenty of experience producing and writing for many a Hallmark Christmas film. I think the uh, plot of this film will suggest that as well. So reading from IMDb, in the days leading up to Christmas, a young and newly engaged heiress experiences a skiing accident. After being diagnosed with amnesia, she finds herself in the care of the handsome lodge owner and his daughter. Well, there we go. That's short and sweet in terms of a synopsis. And I think that's all you need to know about this movie, because from that small piece of information, I think you can probably guess every single event that happens in this movie and it is no surprise that Janine Damien is a stalwart of Hallmark movies because this is basically a Hallmark movie with a slightly bigger budget transferred to Netflix. Everything that happens in this movie you will be one or maybe two or maybe three steps ahead of. There are no surprises at all in Falling for Christmas. Not necessarily a bad thing but you will have seen all of this before. Everything runs to a particular schedule and a particular set of rules. You've got all the characters you know and love or know and despise if you don't like Hallmark movies. Everything is ticked in terms of boxes. And in terms of Netflix movies, is this worse than A Castle for Christmas? I think it's different to A Castle for Christmas. It's bad, I think, in an entirely different way. Castle for Christmas at least did have some pretense at slightly weird plot wrinkles like the knitting circle. This has none of that. This is just a straightforward, feel-good Christmas rom-com. And some of you will like it, and some of you will absolutely hate it. It's more nauseating than a box of chocolates on Christmas Day. Anyway, I have to say... Out of all the Hallmark-style films that we have covered on this podcast, this one is the one that I've liked the most. Now, that's saying a lot, because we have definitely covered some turkeys on this podcast when it comes to this brand of film. 
But I would say probably the only saving grace of this movie for me was seeing Lindsay Lohan. She was one of my favourite actresses during childhood. I loved the movie she did, like The Parent Trap and Freaky Friday and Mean Girls. So obviously seeing her on screen for me is quite nostalgic. It's actually her comeback film. She's taken a three-year hiatus from acting in movies and then she's back with this. Not sure if this is the greatest comeback of all time, but she looks like she's enjoying herself in the making of this film. It's it's very light-hearted. But yeah, talking of A Castle for Christmas, there is an absolute shameless reference to A Castle for Christmas in this film. There's a moment where Lindsay Lohan's character, Sierra, accidentally puts on Netflix on in the morning when she wakes up and you hear that typical Netflix sound and then um, it's advertising a castle for Christmas and she swiftly switches the TV off as I think most people would do with a castle for Christmas because it is terrible but yeah that was Netflix's shameless self-promotion there just to put that in but yeah as Darren said this film ticks all the trophy boxes it does have some weirdness to it, mind. It has a very creepy Santa lurking about the place. I'm not really sure if he's meant to represent the real Santa, if there's an actual element of magic in this, because there's a discussion of making a wish and wishes coming true and then creepy Santa is just like there. And there's also the trope of the annoying child who is heavily invested in adult relationships when she has no business being. They don't write children well in these types of films. Not as bad as the kid in, I believe, All Things Valentine, who was, like, going too far asking the couple when they were going to get married. <laughs> so nothing to that degree, but the child has a bit of a creepy essence to her. I wasn't, I wasn't a fan. Yeah, you're right. They do have a creepy child in this, but you're also right. It reminded me of the kid in All Things Valentine, who is a nosy little sod and deserves everything that's coming to them, but they don't really. Kids don't get what's coming to them in this movie. Kids get everything that they want because it's a feel-good Christmas movie. I'm in agreement with you. I didn't think it's a great piece of cinematic art. I think a lot of people will not be particularly impressed by it. But Lindsay Lohan does carry this movie. She does look like she's enjoying herself in this. And she's by far the best thing in this. She does send herself up really well. She's not afraid to do a bit of a comedy pratfall or look stupid on screen. And she's the one that keeps you watching all the way through when she's surrounded by a cast of generally bland presences. She's the most larger than life out of them all. And she has to be because she's playing this slightly spoilt hotel heiress. I'm not saying in the style of Paris Hilton because I don't think it's in that vein. And fairly early on, it's shown that even though she's got lots of money and she has this very lavish lifestyle she's not actually that bad a person and as soon as she gets all that taken away from her she settles into a more humble lifestyle quite well less to be said for her social media influencer fiance tad who is the standard hallmark bell end in this movie you've always got to have a bell end in a hallmark movie and tad is a massive bellend in this movie. When he's in the mountains and they're skiing, you will be praying for an avalanche to take him out. He is so annoying. Of course, you don't get an avalanche to take him out because it's a PG movie. It's not that sort of film. But from the start, you know that Tad and Sierra are just not meant to be together. So it's classic Hallmark setup. 
and as soon as Sierra runs into the more homely and wholesome and nice Jake who runs the slightly less glamorous ski lodge as compared to the very very high-end ski resort that Sierra's kicking around at the start you just know what's going to happen at the end you know that Sierra's going to be won over by Jake's charms but you also know that they're going to have to throw a load of obstacles in their way as well so it's not going to run smoothly because they've got to get to 90 minutes before they end up together oh spoiler alert they do end up together is that a spoiler of course it isn't from minute one you know these two people are going to end up together but yeah the creepy santa yes is he santa they never make any references to whether he is he just looks like santa and there is the christmas wishing tree but he just kicks around in the background looking slightly unnerving now if he is the real santa they should have made a little bit more reference to the fact that he might be the real santa otherwise he just looks like somebody that'd be on a picture on some school board saying don't approach this man <laughs> absolutely yeah it's not quite sure if it wants to be a straightforward rom-com or if it wants to add these supernatural elements into it or fantastical elements i think it just kind of flirts with the idea but doesn't take it anywhere so of course you've got the tropey plot line of the ski lodge isn't doing very well so of course the uh, heroine of the piece has to come along and figure out a way to save the day and of course she does and because of her high profile and her influence once she mentions that she was rescued and stayed at this lodge everybody wants to book there now my favorite scene in this film it's probably the most ridiculous scene. I was literally sat there thinking, what the hell? This, this is just getting really nonsensical now. So it is where Jake's mother-in-law is on reception on Christmas Day for some reason. I don't understand why they're suddenly like working after opening presents at this lodge that nobody's actually staying at at that point. And the phone is ringing off the hook. So she starts answering the phone and people are asking to book. And then she's like, hold the line, hold the line. She doesn't take any bookings and then suddenly they're sold out. It's like she she doesn't take one person's phone call. She puts them on hold and takes somebody else's. And we never find out, did these people actually book? Because what's the point not taking the booking, putting them on hold to then not take another booking? It was the most stupidest scene, but it just made me laugh. And I think it embodies everything about these films. They are absolutely ridiculous and you have to switch your brain off. You cannot apply logic to these movies. Absolutely. The North Star Lodge obviously doesn't have an online booking offering because it's just one woman taking all the phone calls. It's like they've never heard of booking.com, this place. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's got the hallmark trope of the business is failing. How will it get rescued? There's also a really weird line. It's to do with present openings. And there is a line, and I kid you not, which is awesome helmet. At this point... I had to stop the movie to crack up laughing. Now, this is just my dirty innuendo-laden mind coming up with the disgusting conversations of somebody saying awesome helmet. But it's their fault for putting that line in. There's not one person in this world that would use the term awesome helmet and then expect nobody to crack up in the general vicinity. But it's full of lines that no human being would ever say. It's also full of 
jolly, jaunty seasonal music at every single turn. It's packed so full of Christmas cheer in terms of the soundtrack that you'll be quite ill by the end of it. They cannot wait to stick in another Christmas-themed song or montage. And talking of that, first uh, number that's played in the soundtrack is a song called Everybody's Waiting For, The Man With The Bag. Now, I just, yeah, I cracked up at uh, that point. I can't believe that's an actual song. It is cheese central. And talking of songs, back in the heyday of Lindsay Lohan's successful career, she was, of course, the main star of the film Mean Girls, which is a cult classic. And in that movie, they sing Jingle Bell Rock. Lindsay Lohan, as executive producer, just thought it'd be a fun idea just to make a little reference to Mean Girls in this film. So there's a scene near the beginning where she's in the car with her fiancé, Tad, and Jingle Bell Rock comes on the radio and she starts singing along and then he decides to get really dismissive of her and tell her she's really pitchy and isn't singing it right and he takes over. So, you know, just a little fun nod to one of her most famous movies. But then the studio decide that they want her to sing a full version of the song for the soundtrack. Now, it's not often we get a big star in this style of movie to this degree. And so on the end credits, uh, Lindsay Lohan does sing a version of Jingle Bell Rock that has a bit of rap added into it as well, for good measure. Yeah, they could have done without the rap, to be perfectly honest. But also in terms of the soundtrack, Lindsay's younger sister, Aliana Lohan, is on the soundtrack. She's also in the movie very briefly as one of the stylists. And I believe that her line is something along the lines of dress or slacks. But yeah, she's in there. It's not kind of a nepotistic thing because she's in there very, very briefly. So, And I guess, you know, if your sister is producing the movie, why not be in one scene? If I was related to Lindsay Lohan, I'd be wanting to get into this, even, even if the movie was terrible. It's just like, yeah, yeah, just put me in a scene. So it isn't that kind of... You know, that they crowbarring family members into this. It's just quite fun. Also, this appears to be a movie that is part sponsored by the Bacon Marketing Board. Because at the start of the movie, Lindsay Lohan's character Sierra makes a big point of saying that she doesn't do bacon. Up to the point where she gets amnesia and then is served bacon at the North Star Lodge and suddenly loves it. Now, I think there's some kind of pro-bacon agenda going on in this movie. I'm not saying that bacon is a bad thing. I like bacon, personally. But like the anti-vegan agenda in Curse of Bridge Hollow, this seems to be very much pro-bacon. And I think it's probably that kind of typical holiday American stances, like how much meat can you possibly cram down your gullet at Christmas? Not just turkey and everything, not just all the trimmings. You also need to have bacon. And you need to have lots of bacon at the start of the day on your pancakes. I think as well, the whole am amnesia angle, I don't really buy it that she's got amnesia. It's not done in a very traumatic way. It's a case of like, oh yeah, I'll just come to this lodge with this random guy I've just met. And then she settles in quite nicely to the lifestyle. Obviously, it's a contrast to the high-end lifestyle she's used to and it brings her down to earth and a bit more of a realistic person. But, yeah, it's just not a very believable plotline. It's very frothy. Just, you know, take it with a pinch of salt. That's, that's all I'm saying. Another favourite scene, however, just thinking again about that whole ridiculousness of these films. So they decide to hold a fundraiser at the North Star Lodge 
to help the business stay afloat so they don't have to close and they get the whole town involved to have this Christmas Eve party. And then Jake is coerced into making a speech and he kind of loses his train of thought a little bit, is a bit nervous. Then many members of the crowd um, decide to hand him checks while telling sentimental stories about what the lodge means to them. And that's great and everything, but where have these people been until now? It's only they've got a free party and they're showing up handing out the checks. And it also transpires that he'd literally given somebody a free honeymoon in the lodge and free ski lessons to some kids. So the dad decides to contribute and pay for them now just to keep the lodge going. So no wonder the place is losing money, considering all the freebies he's handing out. Maybe he's got no business sense. But again, that scene, again, it just cracked me up. I thought, oh, here we go. Here, come on, bring on the cheese. This is ridiculous. It's a good point that Jake's been giving out all this free stuff. And the people of the town obviously have no qualms about accepting all of this. It's like, oh, well, I don't really have enough money for ski lessons. Oh, let's just lean on Jake because he's a soft touch. Let's get a load of free ski lessons out of him. These people are fucking freeloaders, basically, (laughs) and only come good because they're guilted into the fact that actually the place that they've been getting all this free stuff off might actually be closing, so it'll cut off their line into all this sort of free credit for them. So, as usual in these movies the people in the town or village or settlement or whatever they're just arseholes basically it's just a hero that's propping all of them up jake's too nice a guy to call them all out at this fundraiser so he doesn't they should have put a a supporting character in to say something like yeah where were you bastards a couple of years ago but again it's a Netflix movie. It's a Hallmark-style Netflix movie. It's also PG-rated, so everything is very wholesome. Everybody is nice to each other. Even the people who are not nice to each other do it in quite a nice way. And even the characters who are not particularly nice have a bit of an epiphany by the end. Even Tad, you kind of suspect that even though he's a bit of a prick, he's not that really bad a guy. And at the end... Tad, despite the fact that he is dumped by Sierra, Tad finds love in another place. Tad finds love with Terry, who is one of the guys working at the High End Hotel. Now, all the way through this movie, I was thinking, you know, Tad is probably bi. The pairing of Tad and Sierra seems a little bit odd, because Tad kind of seems to be bi, but leaning towards guys quite a lot. Anyway, that hunch proved completely true by the end. And I'm glad that Tad and Terry got together. It's a slightly left-field move for this sort of movie, but hey, I'm all for that. That's cool. It was treated as a bit of a punchline, though. I think it was was just the whole thing, oh, it doesn't matter, he's gay anyway. I think that was kind of the angle they were heading towards. Again, as you say, it comes out of left field, and there's nothing wrong with it, but I think the way it was handled was just a little bit rough it wasn't handled with any like amount of sensitivity it's a case of yeah you get the impression like that they're not a very believable couple from the beginning and obviously that's going to allow for us to root for her to fall in love with jake so that's what as an audience have to get invested in yeah i just thought it was a little bit too shoehorned in a bit i suppose it's weird it's weird how they pull it in at the end And it's kind of that whole thing about, well, everybody needs a happy ending, which is fine. But 
it's an odd thing, and you're right, it is treated as a little bit of a punchline and a bit of a gag at the end that Jake is trying to pour out his heart. He's at the side of this stretch limo, and he thinks the air is in there. He's saying, like, you know, oh, I'm really in love with you. And the window comes down, and it's Tad. And Tad's like, well, you know, that's very flattering, but I've already found somebody else, and it's Terry. Yeah, it's a fun joke, but it's taking a little bit away from that sort of relationship as well. I know that not everything has to be so, I'm going to use the word, woke in all of these movies. But even so, it does kind of say, well, it's a gay relationship, but, you know, it's not too gay and we're just having a laugh with these guys because they're quite sweet and funny. We're not going to dwell on what they might do when they get to the other end of the journey. It's two gay guys, they're out of the way now. Plot threads tied up, let's go back to Jake and Sierra and forget the gay guys because we don't want to dwell on what they might be doing somewhere else because this is a Netflix Christmas movie. So if you think that that kind of ending is going to be progressive in any way, it's not. It's just like, oh, we happen to have a couple of gay characters. We're not going to draw a huge amount of attention to that because mostly it's boy meets girl, boy almost loses girl, boy gets back together with girl. And we don't want too much of that progressive stuff getting in the way. I'm not here to get on a soapbox about a movie called Falling for Christmas, which stars Lindsay Lohan, and it's on Netflix. I can't really get up and start tub-thumping about, oh, it's, it treats the gay characters terribly. I mean, it treats every character pretty terribly, apart from Lindsay Lohan. It's badly written. It's got stupid dialogue in it. There's lots and lots of stuff in there where you just think, why is this happening? Despite all that, I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, it was oddly watchable. And as I said, compared to some of the other films of this ilk that we have covered on this podcast, I actually felt entertained by this. I was weirdly invested enough in it. As I say, it was watchable. It's only an hour and a half. It's not very long at all. So it's easy to get through. I think if you're just looking for something a bit cheesy and a bit silly to watch during the Christmas season, where you can just switch your brain off, then I think this is a film that you could check out. As I said, out of all the Christmas ones we've covered on this podcast, I think this one will be the one that I enjoyed the most. So Falling for Christmas, you're going to be a hard one to top. It's as much of a recommendation as we're going to give it (laughs) on this podcast. It's also got that transformation sequence where Lindsay Lohan's being dressed in sort of fairly plain clothing, big jumpers, jeans. Obviously, there's going to be a point at which somebody is going to buy her a dress and she's going to come down a flight of stairs and everybody's going to be like, oh, my God, she's beautiful. Yes, that happens in this movie. And you you know exactly when it's going to happen as well. It happens in pretty much every Hallmark movie. There's like a transformation. It's like, oh, my God, she was hideous before. Now she's astonishingly beautiful. It's like, well, no, no, she wasn't hideous at the start anyway because she's Lindsay Lohan. She's got this incredibly impressive shock of red hair and, you know, it's Lindsay Lohan. Nobody's going to go to her and go, oh, well, you know, I didn't really recognise her before. And that's that's one of the weird things about this movie as well. She would be instantly recognisable as a person. Nobody knows who she is. And, well, some people go, mm, I'm, I, I think I've seen her from somewhere else, but I just can't place her. It's like, if anybody looked like that, you would not forget her. Absolutely. It's very weird that she's meant to be this daughter of a very famous businessman and nobody recognises her. That is an incredible plot hole, but you just run with it. Yeah. And going back to the transformation sequence, did it give you She's All That vibes? Well, thankfully, it didn't really. I was trying not to, because the thing is, 
she's kind of glamorous to start with. So putting another dress on her is like, well, she was always quite glamorous. Whereas Rachel Lee Cook, it's like she was really impressive and attractive, even when she was in a pair of dungarees and big specs. So sticking her in a prom dress and doing a hair up, that's just beauty fascism, basically, to me. She didn't need all of that. So at least as she's all that stuff was pushed to the back of my mind, I was just going with the fact that it was like, well, I bet Lindsay Lohan appears at the top of some stairs now in this red dress. Guess what? She appears at the top of some stairs in that red dress. And my main compliment of Falling for Christmas is the cinematography is absolutely beautiful. I, I cannot fault that. There's so much beautiful scenery to look at throughout the movie. Obviously, you've got the snowy landscape, the ski lodge. It's very Christmassy. It's so Christmassy. And if you like that kind of thing, at least, you know, even if the plot's a bit weak, there's nice things to look at. You're right. I mean, it does look very good. Somebody has actually spent some time getting it to look decent and i guess it probably had a little bit more time to spend on the look of the film rather than hallmark movies which are churned out very very quickly and look okay but there's always that kind of flat look to hallmark movies that it's just shot in a certain way and there's not much imagination to how things are framed or shot at least with this they've managed to pick out a really stunning location and some of the camera work is actually quite decent for this sort of stuff i mean it's not just kind of plonk it in front of somebody for like two minutes and then plonk it in front of somebody else for two minutes at least there's some kind of creativity in this movie even if it's not to do with a unique plot or anything to do with how the story progresses but you don't really go into these sort of movies for thinking like oh i wonder what the big twist's gonna be at the end of this because there isn't ever gonna be a big twist at the end of this Apart from in that first Christmas film we ever reviewed, Christmas oh, Wedding. Yes. I don't know if it was called that. Yes, Christmas Wedding Planner. Christmas Wedding Planner. See, these titles are all the same to me. I'm not being disrespectful or showing that I can't be bothered to do my research, but Christmas Wedding Planner, that did have a big twist in it, to be fair. Yes. A terrible twist. Yeah, exactly. Smackingly shocking twist. Yeah, I do. I do remember sitting at the end of Christmas Wedding Planner and going, "What the fuck?" It was like, "What's going on here?" Anyway, we're not going to spoil the twist of Christmas Wedding Planner unless you've heard our episode on it. But if you want something where you are going to be open mouthed at the end because of the (laughs) ridiculous twist that they put on it, in fact, not just ridiculous, quite insensitive as well. Definitely watch Christmas Wedding Planner because you'll think, was there any need for that at the end? Well, there was a need for it in terms of getting the plot to the end, but it was like, they could have thought of anything other than that. They went with that. Anyway, enough of Christmas Wedding Planner, back to Falling for Christmas. I mean, I didn't fall for it totally, but it's perfectly serviceable. I had a decent time with it. I'm not sure I'd rush back to see it, but I wouldn't rush back to see quite a lot of movies. This is fine. Lindsay Lohan's great in it. It's got a few laughs in it. It ticks all the boxes. And if you're looking for something undemanding, this does fit the bill. Yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. So on IMDb, it has a 5.3 out of 10, which is fairly respectable for this type of movie. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 56% tomato meter and a 63% audience score. But I think this is definitely... Lindsay Lohan bringing in the viewers to this one because people 
obviously are fans of her from all the nostalgic days from the 90s, the 2000s. And I think it's just exciting to see what she's going to do next, even if it is a holiday romance movie and there isn't anything groundbreaking. It is fun to see her on screen. And as I said, she looks like she is enjoying herself in the making of this film, which is great to see. So again, this is probably a one-off watch for me. I can't see myself going back to it unless, I don't know, somebody who hadn't seen it before insisted I watched it with them, but I think that's unlikely to happen. But <laughs> it's uh, not going to be on my Christmas watch list for years to come. It's no Die Hard, but what else is? That's fair enough. And if nothing else, it is the movie that has got the line, awesome helmets. <laughs> he genuinely did have a helmet as a gift, just for context if you haven't seen the movie. <laughs> so with that said, it's time to talk about what's going to be happening next week. So stay tuned, everybody. I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 87 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and would like to check out more of our content, you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. Next time, episode 88, and it's our fourth Merry Podmas episode. And we are returning to a particular universe that we have covered not so long ago. What's that movie going to be, Haley? Well, the babies are no longer talking, but the dogs are. Oh yeah, we're doing it. It is Look Who's Talking Now from 1993, the third instalment of the comedy franchise Look Who's Talking, starring John Travolta and Kirstie Alley. They're back, and we also have Danny DeVito and Diane Keaton as the voice of the dogs. I have not revisited this movie in so long, but I'm quite excited for the good, the bad, and the probably downright terrible. Yeah, same here. I haven't seen it for years, so... I'm interested to see where this has gone over the years. I don't remember thinking it was that great when I first saw it. Maybe I'll have a Christmas epiphany and think it's brilliant this time around. Who knows? Until then, stay safe, everybody. We'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean.